Welcome to the Women Changing the World podcast, a podcast on a mission to bring you some of the most amazing women I know who are doing incredible things to generally make the world a better place. From corporate sustainability to straight up magic and everything in between, you'll meet the real life humans who are birthing the new. I'm your host, Liz Vest, and I'm here to amplify the stories and voices of women who are changing the world. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Today, I am thrilled to be joined by Jessica Marathi Radparvar, the founder and lead impact strategist at Reconsidered. I'm so excited for you to hear our conversation. Um, We talked about everything from running a location-independent business to how someone comes to found an organization like Reconsidered uh, to Jessica's advice to her younger and yesterday's self. So tell me the truth. Has Update My LinkedIn been on your to-do list for like ever? Have you been feeling like you want to have a better answer the next time someone says, so tell me about yourself? And have you been wanting to show up as more of a thought leader, but you have no idea how to go about it or how to hold yourself accountable? Uh, I talk to a lot of women who are ready to show up at the next level, but they're either not sure where to start or wanting some accountability and structure to actually prioritize this, or maybe they're lacking confidence that they have something to say or missing a community of hype women to give them feedback and pump them up. Magnetic AF, the personal branding hypermind for women in impact, is a program designed to help you show up as the rock star that you already are. Through homework assignments and focused mastermind sessions, I'll walk you through my signature personal branding process. You'll walk out with everything from a personal mission statement to a version of your story that is ready for prime time, an updated LinkedIn profile, and a content calendar. Not to mention, you'll have a whole new community of badass women in the impact space ready to cheer you on. The magic is starting November 10th and spots are limited. So head over to elizabethbest.com slash magnetic AF to save yours today. Hello, and welcome to today's episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. I am so, so excited to be sitting down today with Jessica Marathi Radparvar, who is someone who I've been admiring for a long time and who I'm really excited for all of you to get a chance to meet. Um, So maybe before we jump in, I have so many questions for you, Jessica. (laughs) I'm really excited for our conversation, Um, but would love if you wouldn't mind introducing yourself. Um, I feel like I'm sure you can do a much better job than I can to tell everyone who you are. Thank you so much, Liz. And the feeling's completely mutual. Um, I uh, am Jessica uh, Marathi Radpravar. I am the founder and lead impact strategist at Reconsidered, which is a boutique a consultancy focused on CSR, sustainability, and social impact, um, and you know, all with the the goal of advancing a more just and equitable world. Um, and in addition to doing uh, consulting, I also curate a newsletter uh, that now goes out to a 
about 7,000 um, social impact practitioners um, and, and aims to really help make um, the lives of people in our shared community um, easier, um, more inspiring, um, you know, kind of more joyful. Um, and yeah, it, you know, there's a, a, I guess we'll get into our, the business model a little bit later, but yeah, there's kind of um, a few different arms to reconsider that I'm excited to share more about. Totally, totally. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about all the details. And I will say for anyone listening who's not already subscribed to the newsletter, it is a total corner of joy on the internet, um, replete with well-placed emojis. So we definitely <laughs> we, we love a well-placed emoji. <laughs> I love it. I too am a sucker for a well-placed emoji. Um, well, maybe before we get into talking about Reconsidered and, and your day job, um, as well as like broad, big picture life stuff. I would love to hear, you know, because this is the Women Changing the World podcast, one of my favorite questions to ask is, if you could change one thing about the world, what is the one thing that you would want to change? Such a good question. Uh, I mean, there's so much. Um, there's also so much that I want to, to stay the same <laughs> in a way, um, you know, but but better. You know, I'm really inspired by a lot of the um, – the, the literature and the essays coming out around the theme of all that we can save, including the anthology of the same name. Um, you know, I think a lot of the work that us in the social impact space are doing is really to, to preserve this beautiful world that we have. But, you know, I think if there were one thing, it would just be that, um, you know, systems um, were in place globally <laughs> that incentivized the right things because I'd argue that our current dominant system of capitalism uh, does not incentivize the right things. It in fact incentivizes many of of the wrong things. And you know, I think if if we were to to get this right to come up with an evolved version of capitalism um, that that really uh, you know was was designed not just for profit but also for prosperity then uh, then yeah we would all be in a much better place we'd all we'd all feel way more aligned and working toward the same thing I'll put it that way uh, totally I am a sucker for an economics based argument and I could not agree <laughs> more that we need some different incentives um, and also love the nod to all we can save I'm very ashamed to admit it's been on my nightstand for far too long and I have not finished it, <laughs> it no me neither actually but what I really love it's almost like I don't want to finish it I kind of you know I've, I've picked it up again and again um, and just read like an essay or two based Based on what's calling me on a given day, and I find that that's such a nice way to um, to extend extend it a little bit. So I'm in the same boat, but also doing it a, a bit intentionally. <laughs> mm, I love it. The I don't want it to end. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. Totally, totally. Saving all we can save. Yeah, <laughs> all we can save, including this book. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Well, I'd love to hear a little bit more about what is filling your days these days. How are you currently spending your time both again, kind of on like the work front and on the bigger picture and life front? Yeah. Uh, so I uh, start my day. Well, first I, I should mention I'm um, American. I grew up uh, uh, between California and Guam. 
Um, but I currently live in Amsterdam. So uh, my days usually start um, waking up very, very, very early because my 14 month old son has just woken up and, you know, needs to be fed. Um, and then cycling him over to daycare, uh, and then usually getting in some morning laptop work with a really strong cafe latte at a nearby cafe. Mm-hmm. Um, most likely also a croissant, a cereal, or a, <laughs> or a pan au chocolat, <laughs> more days than not. Um, and then, yeah, I, I tend to do my, my best work in the morning, so I try to preserve those hours um for for uh, yeah either kind of like uh, strategic client work or uh, writing work um and then afternoons are usually reserved for check-ins with my team and with clients uh we do a lot of work with uh clients stateside so usually it's quite late afternoons early evenings and then finishing up with dinner bath time bedtime uh for the kid and then um usually have a few hours at the end of the day to clean really (laughs) um and you know read and unwind before bed so that's what a typical day looks like uh pretty pretty easy um and i do even though i'm based in um amsterdam i do try to um keep uh reconsidered as location independent as possible so um that's what days look like these days but um there's also you know you know sometimes we're I'm based in Guam, sometimes I'm based in California, Um, you know, sometimes in the Canary Islands, we just uh, are looking into spending a bit of time there this winter. So, um, so yeah, it it also is, uh, varies, (laughs) varies from that very uh, normal uh, type of agenda. Totally, totally. Oh, I love that. And I can't wait to talk more about like what it's like running a location independent business. I, so I'm bookmarking that. For sure. I feel like now might be a great time for you to tell us a little bit more about all the different pieces that constitute Reconsidered. Oh, yes, I'd be happy to. So, um, so yeah, you know, I'd say kind of our, um, our, our biggest chunk of activity is around client work. We support uh, companies and organizations, large and small, uh, primarily in the um, kind of brand consumer good apparel um, space. Um, And we uh, support them on kind of this intersection of uh, strategy, communications, and community, which is kind of, I think, a more human way to say stakeholder engagement. Um, But, you know, we kind of have this theory that, uh, you know, if you're going to put together a, a strategy for sustainability or social impact, the communications piece is absolutely vital because that strategy is not going to go anywhere if nobody understands what it is you're talking about. Um, and then, you know, with bringing in the community element, uh, so many strategies are also um, you know, reliant on people across the organization really taking up the charge. And so, you know, in addition to being accessible to those people via strong communications, they also need to be kind of rousing enough. Um, and there needs to be an element of community building and mobilization um, and, and kind of activation that needs to happen in order for people to really feel connected to the the strategy so that they ultimately execute it. 
Um, so yeah, the, I'd say that the projects that we work on are usually in that playground. And uh, yeah, I've yeah, had the chance to work with some really amazing organizations, uh, Etsy, um, Sir Kensington's, MailChimp, Tommy Hilfiger, CNA, Bestseller Group, um, Textile Exchange, Fashion for Good. Um, yeah, I feel really, really honored and humbled to have been able to, to support some of these organizations over the nearly five years we've been in business. Um, so yeah, we have that that kind of consulting piece, and then we also have kind of a, I guess, a bucket of activity around resources for practitioners. So resources for people uh, like like us uh, in the the social impact space. So uh, the newsletter is one big component of that. We also have a impact jobs hub where we do a biweekly curation of the hottest uh, CSR sustainability social impact jobs. Um, we also have a LinkedIn group. We're doing more events. Every so often we'll put out a piece of thought leadership. So um, there, that's the kind of area that I get really excited about as well. That's kind of where I get to flex my um, entrepreneurial creative spirit uh, and let her let her out <laughs> every so often. So, um, yeah, yeah, really enjoying and really excited about what's to come in that area. Too. Lots of good things. Ooh, amazing. I love that. Um, and I would love to hear a little bit more about what the impetus was for starting the Reconsidered newsletter. I mean, it's something you, you've been doing for, I think, like four and a half years or so now. Um, and mm -hmm. so I would love to hear both what inspired you to put it out into the world and also what you've learned along the way. Yeah, so um, it was... Yeah, a bit of a uh, challenging time when I think back to it, honestly, um, four and a half years ago when, when the newsletter was just a little seed of an idea. Um, I had just left a job in CSR and I was feeling really exhausted and uninspired and frankly, a little cynical about our shared space. <laughs> and I really wanted to carve out a uh, kind of a, a space to get re-inspired. Um, you know, I uh, felt like I, at the time, I was kind of so deep in one area of the social responsibility space. And I felt that if I were to explore other corners of it and just, you know, carve out a couple hours to get lost down internet rabbit holes every so often, it might be a good way of, of getting some of that energy back. So I started the newsletter as a way of holding myself accountable. I've always learned best by trying to kind of summarize and synthesize things I'm trying to learn. And so I figured that um, others might also benefit from this exploration that I was on. So, um, you know, started by just sending out a short message to my network, letting them know I was starting it and did they want to sign up. Um, and then the first issue went out to about 150 people, I think, in, uh, back in February 2017. And yeah, at this point, um, we have several thousand uh, who receive it on a biweekly basis. Um, and what have I learned from it? Um, um, I mean, I'm constantly, because it was kind of created as a container for learning, I just feel like I'm constantly, um, you know, learning about new things just through the process of curation. Um, but I think I've also learned that, um, I've learned a lot about myself and kind of, uh, you know, 
how brave I feel uh, <laughs> now that I kind of have it as a platform, brave, how brave I could be rather, um, you know, now having this platform, I feel like at the beginning, I was very distant from the content. It was kind of, you know, the format is five links, uh, curated links, could be articles, could be videos, could be TED Talks, podcasts. Sometimes you throw in some like kind of funny wild cards. Um, but, you know, at the beginning, I just kind of threw out the links, you know, kind of no introduction, uh, you know, a little bit of my voice in the in the descriptions, but not that much. And over time, I've kind of really flexed, I guess, um, and used it as a space to experiment with my voice and saying things that sometimes feel a little bit scary. And so I think I've learned a lot about myself by kind of pushing myself um, every other week when the newsletter comes out to try to figure out something um, valuable to share with the community. Uh, totally. That's so cool. I mean, I've been writing a monthly newsletter for the past year and a half. It is an interesting kind of moment every time I sit down, you know, at that toward the end of the month, sometimes it's with an intention of like, oh, yes, this is the thing that's been percolating. And sometimes it's like, huh, what do I have to say? <laughs> um, well, I have not- to say just, uh, you know, following your work for a little while, first, you're an amazing writer. Um, and second, I just, you know, I, I love how authentically you show up as yourself. Um, you know, in the work that you do and the very unique perspective you bring to it. So, you know, I think we all could benefit from just shedding a lot of the uh, baggage, right, that comes with trying to to be bold in this space. Um, and yeah, yeah, I, I find you inspirational in that way. Oh, well, thank you so much. I so appreciate that. And it's a mutual admiration society over here for sure. I think <laughs> it's so wild how often I think the more vulnerable and like generous with sharing ourselves we are, you know, through our writing, the more resonates with people. It's just like, oh, <laughs> why does it have to be so uncomfortable to be to be good, <laughs> to be really yeah. good? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it can be scary. But um, yeah, through that, through that fear comes growth. Totally, totally. Well, and I'd love to zoom out a little bit. I realize we um, haven't talked yet about your story and how you came to start reconsidered and kind of like, you know, what, what that moment looked like for you and your career and kind of what brought you to that point. Um, And the invitation is really honestly for you to take up as much space and telling your story as you want to. Like, I would love to hear about the twists and turns. And I know our listeners love hearing like how people came to be where they are today. Oh, thank you. Yeah, a lot of twists and turns in this one. Um, so I, yeah, I, um, I guess we could kind of start with coming out of college. So I, um, I was really um, all through undergrad and even before in high school was really kind of dead set um, on a on a very singular career path, and that was to be the editor and chief of Cosmo Girl magazine. <laughs> I was a um, I was uh, you know came of age in the teen magazine era, and um, you know I like I mentioned before, I grew up in Guam, a small Pacific Island territory. Um, and you know, reading these these magazines was really my my kind of lens into what life in the mainland U.S. was like. 
Um, and of course, you know, alongside the teen magazine era, I feel like every other rom-com in the 90s was like about a magazine editor, oh like my gosh. glamorous magazine totally. editor, you know? <laughs> <laughs> living her best life. So yeah, that was obviously an influence. And so, um, you know, um, went uh, to college on the East Coast. I, I wound up going to Princeton and uh, did a number of internships in media, including an internship at Cosmo Girl. Um, and then graduated just as the economy and the financial sector and the media industry were all imploding. Um, so 2008, uh, so just before the financial crisis. And um, yeah, you know, kind of had this uh, real moment when, you know, a, a dream that I had been chasing for over a decade at that point kind of disappeared in thin air. A Cosmo Girl full, was a casualty of the financial crisis, <laughs> in case, for those who didn't know. Um, but but yeah, it, it kind of opened up this, um, this opportunity. Um, you know, of course, at the end, it, it definitely felt like a door closing, but it really was uh, another door opening um, because, uh, you know, I think like so many people who graduated around that time, um, you know, there weren't any traditional jobs, <laughs> um, you know, you, you, uh, which was scary, but it also um, allowed for this amazing space and creativity. Um, and, you know, I, I wound up spending about 18 months after graduation traveling was freelance writing and, I was like nanny. I was doing all sorts of random odd jobs to just kind of like stay afloat while traveling. Um, and at one point um, was uh, writing a column for the Sundance Channel's website. Uh, they had a fashion fashion website. And, um, you know, through that, um, that process, uh, had the chance to be exposed to so many social enterprises and um, kind of like interesting indie designers who were starting to work with upcycled materials. And, you know, it really felt like this kind of idea of doing well by doing good was, there's so much energy around it and so much optimism and um, so much uh, really exciting entrepreneurship. And so that, that kind of hooked me. Um, <laughs> so my inroad was, was via journalism um, and uh, I kind of never looked back. So wound up spending the next uh, decade or so um, approaching the sustainability space from a number of different angles. So, um, you know, I, I spent quite some time writing about it, uh, blogging about it. I ultimately went back to school uh, and did an MBA at NYU um, and uh, had the chance to kind of study it academically and work on academic projects. Um, and then ultimately went to work in CSR for a major um, fashion conglomerate in New York City um, and spent several years uh, leading CSR communications and stakeholder engagement uh, for them. Uh, and then, and then, yeah, you know, I, um, I think one thing, even though it's been a twisty, bendy road, uh, lots of twists and turns, you know, I think one thing has, um, that, that I've tried to do is really bring a lot of intentionality, uh, to what I do. Um, and I've stepped back periodically to assess whether the life that I've set up is still serving me instead of the other way around. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, you know, at a certain point in, in that last full-time role, um, took a step back, uh, you know, realized that years of living in New York and 
um, and working in corporate and kind of, you know, swimming upstream against politics and personalities and, uh, <laughs> you know, all, all sorts of uh, challenges uh, had really, really uh, done their toll and, uh, you know, realized that, that there might be another way. Um, and so, yeah, the, you know, this, I think I'd say after I left that role, I kind of had needed a bit of space to, to recover from it. But then once the energy came back, um, the idea of going independent, um, you know, while scary was really uh, where there was the most kind of energy and the most uh, excitement. And so, you know, I ultimately decided to go all in. Um, and funny, because like, before I fully committed uh, to being independent, I feel like, you know, I was kind of throwing out feelers. Oh, hey, I'm like, you know, freelance, like, does anybody have anything? Like, I hadn't fully even owned it myself, that that was what mm -hmm. I wanted to do. And then once I told myself, like, no, you know, I'm going to do this, I'm going to, um, you know, be independent, maybe build up a consultancy, like, here are my offerings, boom, boom, bam. Once I, yeah, uh, I admitted it to myself that that's what I really wanted, then, then the opportunity started coming. Um, and thankfully, we've been in a position where it's, yeah, if anything, been um, too busy ever since. Oh my gosh, well, that's amazing. And it is crazy. I feel like how once you kind of own what you want and are able to tell people what it is you desire, it's, I feel like it's just this weird, this crazy magic where things just start showing up. Um, and I also feel like there's so many, I also um, graduated in the recession and spent some time in journalism, cobbling many things together before getting into the corporate social responsibility space. I feel like there are many of us out there. So I just, yeah, I love that. I, love I don't like, know if you, feel, I don't know if you feel this, Liz, because I listened to your, your introduction episode as well and, and saw those parallels. But, you know, every so often I, I think about a CSR record as my very own magazine. Oh my gosh, totally, totally. Because <laughs> I too was, I was like, like oh, <laughs> absolutely. I feel like that was like my, very much my fantasy too, is to be a magazine editor when I was younger so um and or work in fashion in New York City so I feel like yeah you lived some of the dreams but journalism alas is not not what it was in our childhood it was no no you're not like standing over a you know pin board put it like literally shaping the magazine anymore <laughs> um yeah Totally, totally. Well, I did want to ask, you know, one thing you said that was really interesting to me, I wanted to pick up on is you mentioned like, taking the time to kind of like recover from like your corporate career. And I know that's something that I had to do. Um, you know, when I left the my first like long term corporate position, I feel like I needed just some time for my nervous system to kind of reset. Um, and a lot of the women I work with, too, I feel like there's just like, Sometimes you just need like some time to reconnect with yourself. And honestly, from what I've experienced, sometimes time, just like unstructured open time really is like the best medicine. But was there anything else that you did that kind of stands out to you from like a coming home to yourself perspective that was really helpful? Hmm. Um, definitely, I'd say that travel has been a theme, strong theme, um, in my life. And, um, because I 
uh, spent my early childhood in California, but then grew up in Guam. Um, I, my father's also Italian. And um, when, when we moved back to Guam, he moved back to Italy. Um, so there was quite a lot of movement. Um, movement's been a constant throughout my life. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I've always found a lot of energy and a lot of joy from being in new uh, settings. Uh, so one of the things that um, that I did that that me and uh, my partner Dave did right after um, I left that that last job um, was leave New York. <laughs> it was winter um, and and decamp to warmer pastures. So actually the the idea and and, and the energy for um, for reconsidered kind of came about. Um, in San Juan del Sur um, in Nicaragua. Oh, um, what a cool we were, place to be inspired. We were, <laughs> I, oh, I love it. Um, it. Yeah, we had kind of rented this little apartment and, you know, we were, I was spending um, a lot of time in the water and, you know, kind of uh, taking in the sunsets with a Ronin coca in hand. And it was like, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, really, I think, um, find myself able to think expansively when I have a bit of a change in scenery. And, and that was really, really crucial. Um, so yeah, I, I, I say that that was definitely one. Um, I also was reading um, a, a really incredible book, um, Designing Your Life, Mm-hmm. Um, around around the same time, <laughs> um, and yeah, uh, you know, for those who aren't familiar, it's uh, written by um, a few ag- yeah, kind of a uh, tech guys who also teach a course at Stanford, um, and they uh, basically wrote this book about applying product design principles to how you think about uh, your life and your path and uh, work life balance and all of that. Um, and so I was reading it um, uh, also during this period. And actually, the newsletter was uh, a prototype. They encourage mm. you to kind of prototype different approaches uh, that you could take if you're at kind of a, um, at a, at a turning point. And, and so, yeah, the newsletter was a bit of a, a prototype that, that ultimately panned out, <laughs> um, that ultimately turned into a business. So that, that was pretty cool. But yeah, I think, um, yeah, change of scenery and then having some kind of framework. I think sometimes having a, a container for um, exploration, at least for me, seems to work a little bit better than just kind of like, okay, you know, uh, un- completely unstructured time. Um, like having some guardrails, I think, um, is, is a little bit better, at least for me. Totally, totally. Um, there's a great quote I heard that I'm completely going to botch about how like abundance without structure is like is wasted. And again, I'm not doing that justice, but I feel like it's it's so hard to like have do some of that work, I think, with no structure. And I also really feel for I know so many women in the past year and a half who've had like travel is definitely a reset for me as well. I know so many people who've had like moments when they like really needed to travel to like (laughs) get away and find some time and figure out what's next. And obviously with the pandemic, it's been challenging to do that in the way that, you know, many of us are used to. So 
people have had to get creative and kind of improvise and like, okay, what's the close, safe version of this that I can do? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's it's actually, um, yeah, the, the pandemic did that for me too, because also in addition to, you know, the all of the, the restrictions, um, I also had my son during the pandemic. He was born in July. And so, yeah, I'm coming out of this um, kind of past year and a half with quite a lot of change. And, um, you know, one thing that, that I've been get, kind of getting excited about is... Um, kind of this uh this theory I guess you'd call it but uh, yeah kind of this idea um but from Ingrid I think her name's Ingrid Fettel she writes a blog called the aesthetics of joy Ooh, um, I haven't heard of her but I am writing her down yeah yeah she I, I've just been completely deep diving and fangirling over her all week um she kind of uh talks about how um you know so many people talk about seeking happiness um and which is a little she defines as a bit more of a longer term you know uh, I don't know it feels like a, almost a weighty right to try to like the pursuit of happiness it's just like an endeavor whereas um the pursuit of joy could be uh, a little bit more um I don't know it's it's a little bit uh lighter it's a little bit um more short term you know quick bursts um mm. instead of kind of like this this sustained thing that you're trying to, to to constantly seek um and so she's all about you know yeah like can you um you know surround yourself aesthetically or like you know in, in your space with little items that kind of like spark joy or can you you know go and ha- for me I love going and having like a boba tea or a, <laughs> which is not that easy to come by in Amsterdam but you know I'll like go and kind of like seek out a little treat um and yeah I just kind of love this idea uh that uh you know even even if we can't make these big moves or you know it's a little bit harder or at least was a little bit harder to um you know try to find happiness in the way that you were used to that there are these like kind of little things that you can throw into your day-to-day that um you know maybe all accumulated do wind up leading to a happier life Mm, I love that so much I one of my favorite quotes I feel like I talk about it all the time but um, I, one of my first estheticians said, if you have a good day every day, you have a good life. And it sounds so simple, <laughs> but yeah, but like, yeah, maybe it really truly is like riding your bike to drop your son off and having a boba tea and working in a cafe. Like these are, these are the makings of a beautiful life. Yeah. 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 And, and they, um, yeah, they, they also, it, it was interesting. I was listening to a podcast between her and, and Debbie Millman and, um, she was saying that actually um, her inquiry into particularly joy as it relates to objects was actually grounded in this question about sustainability because mm-hmm. she was wondering, you know, if we can kind of reframe our um, relationship with objects, uh, you know, we might be able to cut down on this crazy overconsumption cycle that that the whole world is you know racing towards and so I yeah I thought that was really fascinating because I've been kind of um, 
I guess, absorbing her content can kind of a separate headspace from my sustainability day job. Mm -hmm. But then to find out that it's all related uh, was really, was really um, kind of a, a, a curious discovery. Totally. totally. Oh, I love that. It is. Oh, I feel like it's all related. It's all related mm. and related. <laughs> and related. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I would love to hear a little bit more about how having your son has shifted your mission and your business. I mean, I feel like obviously that's a big shift to have taken place amidst, you know, a big global shift and, you know, so many things have changed in the past year and a half, but how has that changed you yeah oh god um yeah he's he's amazing his name's Shiloh um he uh yeah in in some ways has changed everything I think you know one thing um for sure is he has uh kind of really reminded me um just of you know how important it is that we get things right this decade. Mm. (laughs) Um, Like it really feels mission critical now. And I think how that translates to, um, to my work is just, you know, being very judicious and how I'm spending my time in what types of projects I'm taking on. Um, And, you know, I'm, I'm, I really want to be able to, look him in the eye uh, 10, 20, 30, 40 years from now and say, hey, you know what? In like the 2020s, I did my best. Mm. I really did. I like, I did my best. And I think that um, focus was something that, you know, I kind of, I, I had in a way, but having him really like made it, made it quite laser focused. Um, so I think that's one thing and then kind of connected with it is just this, uh, um, you know, idea that time is so incredibly precious. It always is right. It's always our most precious commodity, but, but now, especially, you know, the time that I'm not with him, I just want to be using to, um, it's, it's maximum impact. So again, that kind of also connects to um, to to kind of deciding what to prioritize and and how to prioritize things in the business, um, and frankly, also thinking about my ambitions because I've always tended to to be quite ambitious, to have a lot of ideas, um, you know, to always want to to grow and push myself, and um, you know, I think. Um, I also now realize that like I, I want to have a also sustainable amount of ambition um, so that, mm. you know, I don't wind up kind of waking up, like committing to too much and then waking up, um, you know, years from now and realizing I'm in a prison of my own making because mm. <laughs> sometimes <laughs> that happens when you're your own boss, that you're not a necessarily good boss because you you overcommit and you don't take the time to rest and uh, you know, yeah. Uh, So um, I think that's, that's kind of another way that his birth has, has impacted the work. Oh, thank you so much for sharing that. And yeah, it can definitely be so tempting (laughs) when you're an ambitious person to say yes to all the things. But I mean, that's definitely part of the journey I've been on too. It's just like learning what to say no to and when to say no. Um, so that the yeses can feel that much better 
Yeah, yeah. I was really, um, I, th- I think it was in one of your, your previous episodes, you kind of talked about like, if it's a, a hell yes, and I think that's kind of the the energy I'm I'm looking to bring to you know the things I decide to commit to is like okay I only want to do things that are a hell yes um, because everything else yeah it um, yeah there's no, no time no time for the rest of it <laughs> totally, totally totally well in that spirit I would love to hear a little bit more about like how you go about prioritizing projects and ideas as an entrepreneur and maybe it's as simple as like just saving your guesses for hell yeses I don't know if you have any other thoughts on like what goes into you know what you say yes to yeah yeah um, well so definitely that so um you know and i think a lot of that is also a bit like listening with your body and trying to sense mm. into things with your body which is really hard because i'm traditionally tended to be very very rational like always led with my head in front of my heart but you know i think with some of this hell yes stuff it, it's about listening to your gut more and really paying attention to what it's telling you um and then, yeah, kind of like me having a little bit of a conversation with your rational mind to <laughs> <laughs> negotiate with it so that you, you know, you, you ultimately can, uh, you know, yeah, listen to that intuition. Um, but I also think, you know, I, I am big, you know, as, as I'm sure, as I'm sure you are too, and kind of thinking about, um, the larger system of change, right? Uh, we're all part of it. We've all kind of chosen a way to um, to to participate in in it. Um, and you know, I want to be able to to spend my energy in places where I have the greatest leverage. Um, so, especially if it's uh, it, you know whether it's client work or whether it's ideas that I have, um, I kind of ask myself, like, is this really the best use of not only my, my energy, but also my skills, my, um, you know, positioning, my network, my platform? Um, You know, I, yeah, I think, you know, we're each very uniquely situated within this ecosystem and kind of pursuing the opportunities where you're kind of like best situated to, to make an impact is, is really important. Um, so that's one thing, you know, where, where do I have an opportunity to have the biggest impact? Um, definitely the hell yes stuff. And then, yeah, just, I, I think also it's realizing that it's really hard to get clarity on those things if you're exhausted. So, you know, we talked a little bit about rest and renewal. It's like just finding ways to build more times of that into the workflow and um, realizing that for someone working in the knowledge economy, like rest isn't a nice to have. It's really essential. Mm-hmm. It's like a breeding ground for energy and creativity and new ideas. And, you know, I think I've like known this for a while, um, you know, I've, I've heard it or I've even said it, but like I haven't really lived it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but now I'm like, um, yeah, I'm doing my best to live it too. Oh, I love that. And I love that question of like, is this mine um, that you said? Like, I think it can be so tempting. I'm like personally, like definitely a recovering people pleaser. And so it can be so tempting to have like, yes, be the like default response. Um, but really taking the time to ask yourself, like, is this mine? And then prioritizing mm-hmm. like some you time as opposed to just, you know, that being on the endless yes train. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I'd love to hear a little bit more about, I know we haven't talked much about this yet, but um, you've had, I mean, in addition to your very global upbringing, you have had a very multicultural upbringing between both your Chamorro side, your Italian side. And I imagine like culturally, that's like, those are two very different cultures. Um, I imagine, you know, indigenous wisdom on the Chamorro side. And then like, you know, I love Italy. So I can only imagine on the Italian side, kind of what that looks like. How do you feel like those influences have shaped like who you are um, and, and what you do? Yeah, yeah, it was um, yeah, a bit of a an octopus type of upbringing. Um, so yeah, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I was born in San Francisco. Um, my mother's from Guam. My father's from Italy. Uh, they split up when I was young, around eight, and um, I moved to Guam with my mom and sister. And then we started spending summers um, in Europe with my dad. So, um, you know, I think like most multicultural kids, I learned the art of adaptability really early. Um, And I think, you know, it's a strength that I've brought to a lot of my work, just this kind of ability to sense into what a situation calls for, what's being spoken, what's unspoken, and then kind of like rally my own resources to meet the moment. Um, So that's something I can definitely kind of trace back to that. And then I'm thinking about, and the Chamorro side, so, you know, it, I'm half Chamorro. My, my mother's from Guam. Um, Chamorro is the ethnicity of the native people of Guam, um, which is a kind of a, a part of the, the Micronesian islands uh, in the Western Pacific. Um, and it's the culture I'm closest to because it's, that's where I call home. Um, and Guam, um, you know, has a tiny, tiny island in the middle of the Pacific, but our people have survived for millennia by really prioritizing harmony with one another and with nature. And, um, you know, there's so many kind of examples of this that, that mm-hmm. I can point to. So for example, um, you know, there's this, uh, this, this concept of chinchuli, which is that, you know, um, when you, I don't know, the most simple way to describe it is that like, you know, when you go to someone's wedding, um, you would, you know, give a a gift, probably usually a financial gift. And then that would be kind of like noted down somewhere so that when someone from that family has a wedding, then you would kind of return the gift in kind. And I think it's like so interesting kind of this this practice because, um, you know, in addition to just the exchange of, um, you know, monetary gifts, there's also this kind of deeper social uh, capital that's being built up. um, And these deeper connections between families that are being built up. And there's all sorts of these types of um, systems of interconnectedness um, that, uh, that are very much a part of of the the island's culture. and so I think, you know, it, it's super inspiring. One of the things that inspires me most about the space is just reconnecting with people who are tapping back into our island's indigenous wisdom, people who are kind of bringing new ideas and concepts and ways of being um, into life, or, you know, even if it's kind of old ideas and ways of being back into existence. Um, and just, yeah, kind of like, keeping my eye on what's happening there because uh yeah it's it's really um 
you know, they, they say that that islands can be living laboratories for sustainability because they're, you know, their boundaries are finite and, you know, there's a lot of opportunity for experimentation. And so um, there's definitely a lot of that kind of stuff happening on Guam. So it's really cool to to see it, to be a part of it, to kind of keep tabs on it. Yeah. Oh, I'm learning a lot. <laughs> that's so cool. Thank you so much for sharing. Well, and I also know I had bookmarked for us to come back to um, the location independence of your business, especially knowing that Guam is, you know, still home to some extent. You're in Amsterdam now. I know you like sometimes spend some time like Guam or California or somewhere else fun and warm. <laughs> I'm curious. So what have been some of the opportunities and some of the harder parts of running a business from like all literally all over the globe? Yeah, it's, <laughs> I'm glad you also brought up the challenges because it's, um, you know, it's not all just flitting from one place to another. Um, but, you know, I think when, um, like I mentioned before, you know, taking a step back periodically to kind of assess the way that um, we're living our lives is something that both me and my husband, um, you know, are, are fairly uh, kind of dedicated to. And so, um, you know, when when deciding to leave New York and when kind of thinking about what the next chapter could look like, it um, was immediately clear that you, even though we were kind of seeking an, a new adventure in Europe, um, that we we both value family so much and we we wanted to be able to design our lives so that we could also spend large chunks of time, um, you know, more than just kind of a, a quick holiday um, with our, with our families in Guam, um, and for him, California, and for me, um, yeah, Guam and Italy. Um, and be, we also wanted to, you know, for as, as long as we could, um, take advantage of the fact that, uh, you know, we were location independent. So try to find kind of a fun wild card place to do that as well. Um, so, so yeah, I'd say for the past four or five years, um, we're usually in Amsterdam from March through December, but then come <laughs> cold weather, <laughs> um, we will leave and and spend um, spend uh, you know a month in Guam, a month in California, and a month somewhere fun. Um, and so yeah, that's kind of you know the the uh, I guess structure that that we've been working within, and and it's it's been really good. I think, you know, the opportunities are that, um, you know, especially um, for, for Guam, being able to spend longer chunks of time there means that I can also kind of, uh, you know, meet up with people who are doing local work on the ground and kind of try to stay connected to the work there. Um, you know, in California, uh, we get to, um, you know, kind of, um, pop around, uh, you know, and usually I'm, I'm working with, uh, with clients in the States as well. So, so usually during the time in California, I might pop over to New York, maybe I'll go up to San Francisco. It's kind of a nice time to main, maintain connections in the U.S. And then, yeah, the wild card place, of course, is always a, a huge opportunity. We've, we've done that now in, um, in uh, Nicaragua and Bali, um, Sri Lanka. Florianopolis in Brazil and Puerto Ventura in the Canary Islands. Um, so, yeah, it's um, that's always a, a highlight, and and usually that time is reserved for um, kind of 
bigger picture thinking. So if, um, if at all possible, I'll try to um, have a lighter client load that month so that I can spend more time writing and kind of using that change of scenery to really, really reset and think about the business. Um, but also challenges, <laughs> um, time zones, of course, are, are a huge challenge, but also, you know, as I've maybe gotten older and as we started growing a family, um, you know, I do think that there is a, uh, trade-off between, um, you know, thinking about your life as location independent and then being able to really build and foster community. Um, and I think I'm at a place where that community element is becoming a lot more, um, a lot more important. Mm. Um, and so, you know, whenever I would kind of pick up and leave for three months, um, you know, the relationships and the rhythms and routines that i would created in my life in Amsterdam would get disrupted. And it would take a while if, you know, to, to pick that up again. And, um, you know, but but it's also kind of kind of weird also with friendships when you're just like gone all of a sudden for a while. So, you know, uh, in the spirit of continuous reexamination, <laughs> um, we're also, you know, having a look right now at whether this this rhythm to the year still makes sense, given given our current situation. So TBD, whether that continues, but it's been a good run while it's while we've been able to do it. Amazing. Yeah. I mean, you have fantastic taste in places and I feel like what a cool structure to have built for yourselves over the past five years. I'm curious to see where that lands because I definitely, I too, after spending 13 months wandering, obviously very different kind of structure. um, I appreciate the appeal of roots and grounding in community now more than ever. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's a, it's an amazing amazing experience and i think to be able to do that but um you know i think it's yeah it's also okay to kind of then like step back and be like well okay that was perfect for that period of my life and like now maybe a different kind of setup is perfect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny how those those dreams keep evolving totally totally um, well, I'd love to ask you a couple kind of like quick hit questions before um, mm. before we close out our conversation. I'm curious, do you have like, and you can pick any age or it can be totally more generic, but do you have any advice that you would love to like be able to give your younger self? Yeah, oh, I really struggled with this one. <laughs> um, I mean, just like, get off social media which is oh like frankly what I would have told myself yesterday <laughs> so like I don't know like any age it's still really difficult like maybe the platform changes now it's like get off LinkedIn whereas before it was get off Facebook or um but you know it, I think it's so easy especially when you're younger to be caught up in a comparison trap and um yeah, I think it's, uh, it just is such an energy suck. <laughs> um, and, and so just, yeah, uh, yeah, time consuming, frankly. So um, yeah, I think that's what I'd say, get, get off social media. 
I love it. You are not the first person who has said that. And I think it's great advice um, that my yesterday and today self could also take. Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, and then I have like this vision that one day um, I will like print a stack of inspirational post-its because so many of the women in my world, um, myself very much included, have like post-its stuck on our desk like crazy people um, <laughs> to remind ourselves of whatever's kind of top of mind. So if you could have like one inspirational post-it from you to the world, um, what would you want to write on it? It would have to be very small type. Um, <laughs> but the, um, you know, the I think the words that keep on coming back to me, um, especially over the past year, were um, the, the incredible kind of um, words of, of Sonia Renee Taylor, the the um, author and activist and poet um, and, and kind of what she wrote about um, the co coronavirus pandemic. So um, she said, uh, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. We are being given the opportunity to stitch a new garment, one that fits all of humanity and nature. Um, and I just think that is so powerful, this idea that we are, you know, we have this incredible opportunity right now. And I feel like the world is just racing to just get get back to normal. Um, and yeah, I really don't want us to forget what we just went through over mm. the past 18 months um, and the lessons that we learned and the things that we we learned were possible. And so, yeah, I think this this is really what, what comes back. Maybe if it had to be shortened, um, it's, uh, you know, we will not go back to normal. Normal never was. Mm. So real. Thank you so much. That quote gave me full body chills. <laughs> so I really appreciate your sharing that. And her, her words are so beautiful. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Um, well, thank you so much. I mean, I think what a note to end our conversation on. <laughs> Just like we have such a huge opportunity to really birth something new. Um, and I just, I couldn't agree more. And I'm so excited and so honored, honestly, to have you here because I feel like you are someone who is you know, in it, doing the work to birth the new. Um, and just so grateful to have you in my world and the world. Um, and so for anyone, I know we mentioned up front uh, that the newsletter is amazing. Um, and um, I'm curious, like, where would be the best place or places for people who want to, like, find, follow, join you? Yeah, thank you, Liz. Um, so, yeah, Join the newsletter so you could um, you can find reconsidered at reconsidered.co and you know as on as on most websites there are about five places on that site where you can sign up for the newsletter so you should be able to find the sign up form or it will find you um, <laughs> and um, and yeah I'm I'm on link I am trying to stay off social media for my advice to my younger self but um, but yeah LinkedIn is probably the best place to find me. Uh, Jessica Marati, Rad Pavar, or the Reconsidered page, um, or the Reconsidering Business uh, LinkedIn group. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been such a treat, and I'm so grateful. Thank you, Liz. I'm grateful for you, too.
Thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the Women Changing the World podcast. Please rate and review the Women Changing the World podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google Podcasts, and don't forget to subscribe for future episodes. You can find me on Instagram at Liz, L-A-S dot best, B-E-S-T, or by searching my name on LinkedIn. You can also sign up for my three-day personal branding challenge, which is totally free, by visiting my website, which is Elizabeth with an S, E-L-I-S-A-B-E-T-H, best, B-E-S-T, dot com slash personal branding challenge. See you in the next episode.